Welcome back to War and Peace on the Hemingway List, talking about Book 2, Chapter 17. Andrew notes Bagration's presence accomplishes a great deal despite him not issuing many commands. Why do you think this is? What kind of impression do you think Bagration's style would have on Andrew? And why do you think the auditor was present? Note that Maud translates this to accountant. I can answer that one. Auditor, Corsho says, was a term for a military lawyer or a military... Uh, what was the other word someone said? Uh, military something. Military lawyer. Okay, anyway. It's something to do with the military. So it wasn't just a random accountant civilian who wanted to tag along. Um, it was like, not a not someone, not a soldier, but someone from sort of like the military officers who wanted to observe. Uh, I think Maud just straight up gets it wrong though, because Maud also says they're a civilian, I think, at some point. Ripster66 says, Bagration's style leadership confused me at first and i thought his refusal to issue actual commands were a sign of ineptitude but i think his ability to make the chaotic battle seem seem as though it were happening as he expected calmed the nerves of all around him he maintains an illusion of control over a situation which is very complex and chaotic the officers reporting to him are excited and scared but his calm acceptance of their reports eases their fears i think that's it yeah he gives everyone confidence and i think that's a massive uh, plays a massive part in uh, an army winning a war is if they're all going in feeling confident versus nervous and um, so I think it does more than uh, we're giving him credit for also I think the other thing that it does do is gives him the opportunity to claim if he acts all the way through the war like everything's going according to his plan then if they are successful he can kind of then claim that, yep, that's all as I planned. Um, but I don't think that's what he's doing, is it? Order from Chaos said, I was fascinated in this chapter by the way Tolstoy talks about the importance of the soft skills of command. It's clear that Bagration did not fully understand what was going on, but understood the importance of the calm leadership to allow his men who didn't understand to fight well. Having not been a soldier, I had this idea of the commander being like a chess player, moving pieces around and understanding everything, but what to do when you don't understand is just as important. Tolstoy seems keen to talk about the other things that make you a good commander. I like, uh, sorry, it might make Andrew a bit better with men. Um, Prince Andre remembered the story of Suvorov giving his sabre to Bagration in Italy, and the recollection was particularly pleasant in that moment. Bagration is having the same effect on Andre, perhaps. The accountant slash auditor being present really underlines a lot of the stuff we've been seeing on people's impressions of what war versus what war, what we expect of war versus what war is really like. Um, Ryan Dundev said, The insight into leadership here is really interesting. Good leaders tend to empower their subordinates to make good decisions and softly guide them towards leading themselves allowing ownership bagration portrayed here seemed to demonstrate that soft touch of powerful leadership in a hopeless situation and andrew's eager perceptiveness noticed that intently m dash 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 c said i thought bagration's hands-off management style and its effectiveness shows tolstoy's insight into management styles and human nature 
the soldiers were constantly reassured, which left them better motivated than micromanaging would have. Uh, it's also noteworthy that this kind of management only works when the soldiers are not... What? Works when the soldiers are not it is happening and still have faith that are not aware that it's happening and still have faith in that leadership that they have control. Yeah, if they realize that he's just bluffing, then it all crumbles pretty quickly, doesn't it? Um, that style of leadership might also reflect a skeptical Christian view in the author. People, especially pre-20th century, have faith that he has it all in hand and he has a plan for everything, but really there might be no overarching plan, but it's their belief that it's all part of a plan that gives them the confidence that allows them to carry on in the face of such a messy world. That belief that it's all under control is useful, even if it's not true. Damn. I like that. Lorenzo de' Medici said, I was thinking the same thing you mentioned in your second paragraph, a bit Dostoevsky-esque, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lorenzo de' Medici also said this. My takeaway from this chapter was this. Very good. All is going according to plan. Uh, all right, what chapter are we up to now? I'm going to keep reading. Chapter 18. Damn. Every time I realize what chapter we're up to, I get surprised. It's all going so quickly. Um, while I scroll down to chapter 18... I'll remind you folks that this podcast is made possible by my Patreon supporters at www.patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. If you want to support the podcast, you can head over there and donate whatever amount you feel matches the value that you get out of your daily podcast experience. Now, I'm nearly there. I'm using my laptop today, which is very, very slow. So um, it takes quite a while to scroll down to the cor correct chapter. I should have had it open before I started the podcast. That would have been smart. Here we go. Where are we to? Where am I up to? Um, what was I looking for? 18. Okay, now I've gone too far. I've gone not far enough. Oh my god, this laptop. Okay, I found it. Cool. Here we go. Sorry about the dead air there. Chapter 18 goes like this. Prince Bagration rode to the highest point of our right flank, then started down the hill to where the muskets crackled and filled the air with their smoke so you could hardly see jack shit. The closer they got to the hollow of musket... The hollow of musket death, the less they could see and the more they felt they were stepping closer to a battlefield. They started coming across injured men, one with his head pissing out blood and no hat, was being dragged along by two soldiers who had him by under his arms. He was making a gurgling sound from his throat and was spitting blood. He had evidently been shot in the throat or mouth. Another was walking by himself fairly sturdily, but without his musket, and he was groaning loudly, and one arm swung freely and pissed out blood all over his coat as if from a longy. He had only just copped this injury, you could tell by the look on his face, which was a look of terror rather than pain. Uh, 
They crossed a road and went down a steep hill, and there they saw a bunch of guys lying in the dirt, as well as a crowd of soldiers, some of whom were lucky enough not to be wounded. The soldiers were totally out of breath, making their way up the hill, and despite the general being there, they spoke loudly and animatedly as if he wasn't around. In front of them there were rows of men in grey cloaks, visible through the smoke, and an officer, who, after catching sight of Bagration, rushed, rushed towards the retreating soldiers, shouting at them orders to come back and fight. He rode up the ranks, which, which crackled and popped, now here and now there, drowning out the voices and commands being yelled out. The air all around reeked of smoke. The excited faces of the soldiers were made black by it. Some were ramming ramrods down the muzzles of their muskets. Others were priming the touch pans with gunpowder or taking shot from their pouches, while others were firing. Though who they were firing at was anyone's guess, because there was no wind to carry the dense smoke away. You could hear the beautiful soothing sounds of bullets humming and whistling in the air. What even is this? thought Prince Andre, moving up to the crowd of soldiers. Surely not an attack, because they're not moving. And it can't be a square, they're not in the right positions for that. The commander of the regiment, a thin bastard, weak-looking old codger, but with a decent smile, his eyelids drooped like a stoner, giving him a pretty chillaxed vibe, rode up to Bagration and welcomed him as if he were the guest of honour. He reported that they'd been attacked by the French and beaten up pretty bad. They'd managed to push them back, but lost half their troops in the process. He said they'd pushed them back. That was the military phrase he'd opted for in describing what had just happened to his men, but in reality the bastard didn't have the foggiest idea what had happened in the last thirty minutes to the men entrusted to him. They might have pushed them back, or they might have been broken up and scattered themselves. All he knew, with any degree of certainty, was that when the fight started, cannons and shells started raining down on his regiment and hitting men, and that after that someone called out cavalry, so they started firing. They were still firing now, not at the cavalry, they'd gone, but at the French infantry who had made their way into the hollow to fire at our men. Prince Bagration nodded his head with satisfaction, a gesture that suggested that this was all exactly according to his plan. He turned to his adjutant and ordered him to bring down the two battalions of the six chasseurs that had just passed. Prince Andre was struck by the sudden change in Bagration's expression. Now he wore the determined and satisfied look of a man taking a final run on a hot day before diving into the water. He didn't look like the deep thinker anymore and his dopey sleepiness was gone too. He still moved slowly and purposefully, but his hawk eyes, round and steady, uh, had an eagerness to them and a hint of malice. The commander of the regiment started imploring Prince Bagration to get the hell out of there. Please, Your Excellency, for fuck's sake. It's too dangerous here, he kept saying. Looking to an officer of the suite for support, the officer turned away from him. There, look at that, he said, pointing to the bullets, hissing and whistling and singing all around him. He was using the same tone as a chippy might use to a non-tradie if the non-tradie picked up an axe and started swinging it. Uh, please, sir, we're good at using axes, but you're just going to get blisters on your hands. It was as if he thought the bullets could not affect him 
only his superior, and the way he spoke, all dopey and stonery and with squinty eyes, you'd almost believe it yourself. The staff officer joined the colonel's cause, but Bagration didn't give a shit what they were saying. He just gave the order to cease firing and reform, so as to give room for the two approaching battalions. While he spoke, a rising wind flowed through the hollow, pushing the curtain of smoke away from right to left, as if by an invisible hand, and the hill opposite, with the French moving about on it, came into clear view. It was impossible not to look. Everyone watched the French column winding down the uneven ground, advancing towards them. You could already see which were soldiers and which were officers, could see their shaggy caps and see the standard flapping against its flagstaff. Geez, they march well, remarked someone in Bagration's suite. The front of the column was already descending into the hollow. The clash was going to happen on this side of it. What was left of our regiment, the ones who'd just been fighting, slash running, formed up and moved to the right. From behind it, pushing through the slack-ass slow pokes, came the two battalions of the six chasseurs, looking like bloody superheroes. You could hear them even before they arrived, the impressive thud of the mass of troops marching heavily. On their left flank near Bagration, there was a company commander marching. He had a lovely round face and a dumbfuck smile. It was the same bloke who rushed out of the wattle shed. It was clear that there was nothing on his mind except one thing, how fucking rad he looked as he passed the commander. He was as, as smug as a man on parade, stepping with enormous swagger, his toit legs sailing along effortlessly, drawing himself to the tallest he could possibly be, his easy strut contrasting with the heavy treat... Tread... Treat? Tread? of the soldiers who were keeping step with him. Tread. What word am I trying to go? Tread. <laughs> he carried by... He... carried by his leg a dumb little pretend sword, small and curved and dumb, and looked now at the superior officers and now back at the men without losing step, his whole rockin' bod turning flexibly, it was as if every drop of his energy was at that time dedicated to looking as cool as humanly possible while he passed the commander, and he felt like he was pulling it off too, so he was wrapped. Left, 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 he muttered to himself with every other step, and in time with this, the wall of soldiers with all different but all stern faces and with heavy knapsacks and muskets marched in step, and each one of these hundreds of soldiers seemed also to be repeating to himself, left, left, left. One soldier, who was a bit of a fatty boomba, sideswiped a bush and fell out of step, puffing and panting. Another soldier, who'd fallen behind, looked panicked at his fuck-up and tried to run at a trot, panting to catch up. A goddamn cannonball came, cleaving through the air and flew straight over the heads of Bagration and his suite, and went straight into the column of men to the measure of left, left. Close up, came the company commander's voice in jaunty tones. The soldiers passed around something where the cannonball had landed, dead people, presumably, and then an old trooper in the flank, a non-commissioned officer who had stopped beside the, yep, dead people, ran to catch up to his line and, falling into step with a little skip, looked back angrily and through the ominous silence and the rhythmic marching, feet against the ground, you could just about hear left, left, left. Well done, lads, said Prince Bragration. 
glad to tutu your XXX came the confused shout from the ranks. One pissed-off-looking soldier marching on the left turned his eyes to Bagration as he shouted with an expression that seemed to say, yeah, no shit, dickhead, we know. Another one didn't look around. He was worried he'd lose his concentration, and so he just shouted loudly as he marched past. They were ordered to stop and put down their knapsacks. Bagration rode round the ranks that he that had gone past him and hopped off his horse. He gave the reins to a Cossack, took off his felt coat and handed it over to, stretched his legs and fixed his skewiff cap. The head of the French force, with the officers out the front of the pack, were now at the bottom of the hill. Onward with God, said Bagration in an unfuckwithable, sonorous voice, turning for a sec to the front line, and with his arms swinging a wee bit, he went forward awkwardly and wobbly over the rough field, on foot like a cavalryman. Prince Andre felt like he was being pulled forward by some invisible force, and felt a huge wave of happiness come over him. There's a footnote here. Hi, sorry, author's note real quick. In the original book, Tolstoy himself made an author's note here, talking about how this actual moment in history was remarked upon by both Tears, who said the Russians behaved really valiantly, and that both forces marched straight at each other and neither showed the slightest hesitation, which is a rare thing to see in war. And also by Napoleon, who, on the island of St. Helena, said that the Russian battalions he faced here were dauntless. Anyway, back to the action. The French were really close. Shit was about to go down, big time. Prince André was next to Bagration. He could clearly distinguish their bandoliers, red epaulettes, and he could even see their French little faces. He distinctly saw an older French officer duck-footed in his long gaiter boots that went to his knees, struggling up the hill. Prince Bagration wasn't giving orders now. He was focused on leading the ranks forward. Suddenly... The shooting started, one after another, French muskets loudly ringing out, smoke appearing long along their uneven ranks. Excuse me. <clears throat> smoke appearing along their uneven ranks. Our men started toppling over, including the round-faced shed guy, the company commander who had just moments ago been so smug, walking, walking like a superhero past Bagration. But... At the sound of the first French musket, Bagration looked around to, to his men and shouted, Hurrah! Hurrah! Ah, ah, ah! chorused out from our ranks, and they raced forwards towards the enemy, past Bagration, trying to outstrip one another. They were no longer in form now, but rushing in, dis, in a disordered crowd, thrilled and eager to fight, down the hill towards their equally disordered foe. Alright, there we go. Chapter 18 for you. <clears throat> Coming up tomorrow is my favourite chapter. Oh, excited for that. Alright guys, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.